it's Frank. Me and Ellie's down here for our convention. Can't wait to see it. It should be over at your place about 1 a.m. Banzai, buddy. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Poletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. I hope I gave you enough time to swallow that big <laughs> drink of water you just took as I started talking. Ooh. Yeah, no, these are... This is the um, Hydro Flask, which some I think made national news because people were complaining about when they people brought them into the office and they fell and they made that sort of noise huh. or something. I missed that discourse. I believe you. That seems yeah. like something that would make national news. Right. It's like, we need you to come back to the office, but... Don't bring your hydro flask. Don't bring your hydro flask. <laughs> just, it's a very, they just have a nice tone. Mm-hmm. Both, uh, both sizes that we have just a nice, just when you bump it against something, you're like, Oh, a call to prayer. I'm going to meditate. <laughs> Some sort of very bell like hydro flask. If you'd like to, uh, if yeah. you'd like to support us, we don't do <laughs> advertising, but you can go to 200. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can go to patreon.com slash 200 today. Yeah. Speaking of Patreon, mm-hmm. uh, one of the reasons we're doing today's episode is because of a Patreon uh, uh, suggestion. However, before we get to that, I do think we should start our episode by um, taking a moment to acknowledge the passing of Stuart Margolin, who between our last time recording and this time, which has been a considerable gap um, yeah. <laughs> due to due to various circumstances, um did pass away so uh yeah um rest in peace uh the an angel uh, i feel like there's a there's a pun that angel would appreciate there mm-hmm. but uh i i don't i don't know what it is or i don't have it in me to make it i guess is what. <laughs> <laughs> if only i was a top tier television writer maybe i could come up with something yeah but uh what i said on on twitter which might still exist by the time this comes out who knows was that uh uh you know angel one of our one of our absolute all-time favorites mm-hmm. despite his best efforts yes and uh yeah i mean i don't know you listen to the show you know how much we love angel and yeah what an integral part of the texture of the rockford files the character is and stuart margolin as a physical presence yes is um he also directed a couple of episodes he directed a couple of the 90s movies uh just a, a Without, you know, without him being involved, the show would just be totally different. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps one of the best ways to celebrate him is mm-hmm. uh, I'll take another look at the the eulogy that was read for oh. Angel in Chicken Little is a Little Chicken. Yes. In the background of all the shenanigans with the briefcase exchange, because it is actually a hilarious it's mm-hmm. it's just full of little jokes about like how great Angel was, clearly penned <laughs> by him for his own obituary. I see as I look out of this vast congregation that there are many of the deceased's closest friends who were with him in the Thoroughbred Racing Association. When it came to being a soldier, Mr. Martin was among the bravest, serving with great distinction in Korea, and finally being discharged after several military hearings which included the top generals in our nation's forces. There are several legal precedents that were established during these hearings, and one point of landmark law dealing with the refusal to bear arms, a statute which has moved forward the great tide of military justice. All right, well, 
As I said, we do have a patron recommendation, uh, which has actually dovetailed nicely with something I think we talked about and then forgot, which is that (laughs) this episode, The Family Hour, Season Mm 3, Episode 3, is our final episode to look at the writer contributions of Gordon Dawson or Gordon T. Uh. Dawson. When we did a fast count, that was him and Reza, uh, Reza Badi. Then we mm-hmm. did Reza Badi's last one. Um, and now we're doing last one, the last of his for us to do. And yeah. now we're doing Gordon Dawson's last one, which was also re- recommended to us by patron Rebecca, um, who said that they rewatched a great episode last night that we haven't covered, The Family Hour. I know your list is getting smaller, but this is a really unique story with a lot of Rocky, too. Yeah. And uh, you're not wrong. Nope. It was a great recommendation. I, I'm looking through his his uh, writing credits, and they're, they're good. It's a good, yeah. <laughs> so here's, uh, we don't need to do a power ranking, but I'll just run yep. through uh, his episodes. Um, so nine in total, or eight, because one of them's a, a two-parter. Gordon Dawson wrote Pastoria Prime Pick, our episode 14, The Hammer of Seablock, mm-hmm. our episode 48, An Introduction of Gandhi. The Family Hour. So this is in broad- broadcast order. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Family Hour, which is this one. I think it'll be our episode 111. We'll see. Uh, the Trees, the Bees, and TT Flowers. Uh, the Two-Parter, which we did wow. as our episode 45. Second Chance, which is the second Gandhi, Gandhi. episode. Episode 49. The Competitive Edge. Ooh. Which <laughs> was the uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, yeah. kind of rendition. That was our episode 33, A Fast Count, which we did recently, 109, and The Deuce, which we also did relatively recently, and I think kicked off this whole cycle of of kind of looking at uh, finishing out some some of our talent here, episode 105. Yeah, no, uh, very strong. Yeah, I'd say of all those, maybe, I think the competitive edge is interesting, but it's maybe not the most compelling mm-hmm. of uh like if i had to rank it against any of these other ones it probably wouldn't i'd probably pick any of the other ones over it well it's tough because the list includes the bees the trees and tt flowers right, which, which is, is an all-time great yeah yeah pastoria prime pick was an early imprint for mm-hmm. us um i think as we just heard a fast count was really good mm-hmm. uh it's hard to evaluate um the gandhi episodes just because it's gandhi and right We've spent enough time talking about him, but yeah, but yeah, uh, and and the Deuce was also very good, so mm-hmm. very solid, very solid, and kind of like a thematic, a bit of a thematic pair with this one. I mean, they're very separated in time, also, I think, mm-hmm. but uh, with the idea of this this kind of like uh, the theme of uh, alcoholism mm-hmm. and overcoming it as part of the character. Solid body of work. Um, we I, we did go over a bit of his background when we did. The Trees, the Bees, and T.T. Flowers. But that was over 50 episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I will briefly recap. Um, it's it's kind of hard to... He doesn't... There's not a lot about um, Gordon Dawson, Gordon T. Dawson online, at least, that I, I could easily find. Uh, a lot of what is there is in context of um, being a collaborator with Sam Peckinpah. Okay. Um, um, he wrote Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia... Uh, which is a you know a, a big Peckinpah project. I don't really know Sam Peckinpah that well. I'm you know, I kind of know the kinds of movies he directed. I don't know if I've seen any of them. Um, and then just looking at his credits, he you know wrote a lot of TV, uh, produced movies and TV. He ended up um, 
being a Walker, Texas Ranger mm. guy um, <laughs> kind of at the end there. One thing that I did find was a interesting uh, half hour interview with him podcast interview from the Nashville. Yeah, from the Nashville Public Library uh, from 2016. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, they were showing The Getaway, which was uh, he was associate producer and second unit director of, I believe that's also a Peck and Paw film. Anyway, so as part of that, they did this interview and uh, he talks about his background, how he came up and um, a little bit about The Rockford Files at the end, uh, which is about 26 minutes into the 29 minute episode. <laughs> so it's not too much. But he does say that that's where he he was originally a wardrobe guy. He started out working in wardrobe in the movies. And I then, was wondering about that because his credits are producer, writer, wardrobe. I was a uh, wardrobe man at the time. Now they're called costumers. Back then, actually, we were called rag pickers. I uh, was in on some of the principal fittings when he was doing that in, in uh, Los Angeles before going down to Durango to shoot the picture. I was just in the room, and so I was left with the task of aging and preparing all of the principal wardrobe. And there's, you can listen to the interview, but there's a whole story about basically how he came to, he was working, he was doing wardrobe for a Sam Peckinpah movie, and he ended up being kind of on the ground at a very tense moment because there was all this drama with the studios or something, and he ran interference and helped out Peckinpah, and that kind of brought them together, and he liked the cut of his jib, for <laughs> lack of a better word, and uh, they started a creative collaboration kind of from there. But uh, yeah, he, but as a writer, he says that the Rockford Files really got him off the ground, um, for TV writing at least. They're great people to work with. He's asked about, like, did you write Isaac, you know, did you write Gandalf Finch for Isaac Hayes? Right. And he says that at, at that point, he was so new, he didn't have any casting. You know, he wasn't going to oh in a position to do casting or anything. Yeah. Um, but he wrote the character. I wrote him as I wrote the character. I certainly didn't write the actor. I wrote the character. And actually, Gandalf was a typo. I, I, I it was originally Randolph Fitch. And I, I typed a G and I thought, hey, that's even better. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So, uh, but then, you know, he, he gained more, he, he had more, um, uh, I guess, pull or rapport or whatever as time went on. For the trees, the bees and T.T. Flowers, he specifically wanted Struther Martin as T.T. Flowers. And so he was able to influence that particular casting, which I think is a nice, uh, a nice little bit. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting interview um, and uh, sounds like an interesting guy. It, it looked like the um, wardrobe movie that he was referring to i'm not entirely sure so uh where he worked with peck and paw was the wild bunch mm -hmm. i actually watched that like in the past couple of years quite good this episode is directed by william ward we continue ah, yes. pushing through the the <laughs> wardiverse uh yes we'll, you know finish it out eventually i feel like there was one shot that i noticed that i was like oh that's that's pretty cool. I don't remember what it is now. Maybe we'll see see when we get into it. <laughs> Twenty six episodes. Mm -hmm. I think I counted because I think you directed like the last like the two or three ago that we did, and um, no, I think I did a count. And I'm like, okay, we still have like fourteen of his to go or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll go ahead and I think maybe uh, uh, roll into our preview montage. <laughs> 
It's good. I was just taking a sip. I'm going to wait until you take a sip of your water before right. throwing to you as often as possible. That's good. I absentmindedly committed to a candy cane in the middle of all that, which, listen, if you're going to do a podcast, just it's fine. You got food, you got munchies, you get hungry or whatever. You can have candy or whatever. Just not a candy cane. That is a ridiculous decision to make. All right. Um, opening montage. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this except for well okay um we're gonna get rocky we know that uh i think we i don't know if the montage made it clear that we're gonna get dennis and angel i can't remember um but my favorite well one bit was that like this montage had a lot of explaining to the audience in it that when you watch the actual show the context makes more sense like there's a there's a point in the montage where he's like she stats at Rocky's. That's my dad, and I'm like, yeah, we we know Rocky's your dad. <laughs> like, why are you te- why are you telling Dennis that Rocky is your dad? And we'll get to it. He's not telling Dennis. He's telling someone else in the scene. Um, and there's like another scene where he's like, is that what I think it is? Electric cattle prod? And again, like, but that gets telegraphed in other ways, and it works. Yeah. But the best part, I think, of this entire montage is in the very end of it where he gets in the car with the girl and she just says i hate you and that musical sting mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the wah, wah, wah. <laughs> like mm, exquisite it's very good yeah it's it's yeah. in the spot where usually there's a car going over the cliff or, or yeah. hitting the gas on the <laughs> or you know or, or running away from a gunshot is the uh the, the preview montage also establishes that we're going to be uh this episode is going to center on um that's like it's never stated, I think, but she's probably like 13, 12 or 13 or something like yeah. that. Kind of like yeah. a early tween um, girl who is going to be the subject of the drama to come. And so that is the girl that is uh, who is looking straight ahead and just saying, I hate you. <laughs> or, I really hate you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Epi, did you know that we are a 100 percent listener supported show? I did not know that. Wait, I, I did. I did. <laughs> And it is because of our patrons over Ooh. at patreon.com slash 200 today. In addition to our gratitude, patrons also receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. Now, that is the podcast before the podcast. And that's where we talk about other stuff going on in our lives mm-hmm. and games and movies and all kinds of things. Yeah. We extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode of 200 a day. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the Journey of an Aesthete podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Dale Norwood wrote a book. Find Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, Wherever Good Books Are Sold. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy. Chuck from WhatYou'reReading.com. Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, his site rollforyear.party, has all of your online dice rolling needs. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com. Pumpkin Jabba Peach Pug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, and Dale Church. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support of the show. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, 
Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in helping keeping us going, you could do so for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is one of those episodes where like, I didn't really remember it. I have seen it before. Mm-hmm. When it started, I was like, oh, it's this episode. The fact that the first time I saw it was very pre-parenthood. Oh, yeah. And the fact that I've seen it the second time in a, uh, you know, post, post-parenthood post of young girl. I mean, she's mm-hmm. young, obviously. She's a toddler. But the uh, uh, there was a lot more emotional resonance in the latter half of this episode yeah, yeah. than I had <laughs> anticipated going in. Um, that's not bad. I just mm-hmm. wanted to kind of mark that uh, going in because it, it surprised me. Yeah. Um, so and content wise, there is kind of a hint of kind of like child endangerment, but it's not it's played very it's it it's played very lightly. It's not um, mm-hmm. it's not terrible and nothing. You know, she's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we start off our episode uh, on the beach in Paradise Cove watching seagulls circle overhead and then come down to see the girl from our preview montage. We eventually, after many trials and tribulations, learn that her name is Marin. Yeah. Um, uh, at the the snack bar on the beach with her dad. Well, now I just want to point out that my notes here are which mountain, Polly. <laughs> this is the this is the girl from the Witch Mountain series mm. series of Disney films, and the her dad is Polly from the Rambo, or sorry, from the uh, Rocky series yeah. of films. And uh, yeah, I was just super excited. That was just a big nostalgia thing. It's for a me. good combo. Um, he, I was looking, so uh, her dad is played by Burt Young, um, who, as you say, uh, uh, from the uh, Rocky movies. Um, mm-hmm. And I was looking through his credits. I was like, I've seen Rocky. Is that where I recognize him from? Because he has such a face. He's like, yeah, yeah, such a face. And I was like, I have to have seen him in something else that I'm remembering him from. But I actually don't. Like, I didn't recognize anything else that I've seen, you know, anything more than in passing. So I'm like, maybe, maybe it's just from watching Rocky. <laughs> um, could be The Adventures of Pluto Nash. No, no, no. Not on my list. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, I will say he's a consummate schlub. Yes. Uh, he was in an episode of Columbo. That, that he was, but I didn't recognize that. Like, that's from the, it's a 90s episode. Yeah. And I was like, I might have seen that one once. I don't remember. Right. Or just from seeing this episode before, because he's so it's such a memorable look. Yeah, he's he's very very memorable. His um, th- th- yeah. There's something I'm I'm trying to think of like there's a physicality to him that reminds me of like Lou Grant from the Mary Tyler Moore Show, <laughs> prime in my head because I've been watching a lot of that recently. Or yeah, it's just very like um, it's a great contrast to this girl, right? Mm-hmm. So they. They hire this. They the actress they get for this is uh, Kim Richards, who uh, at the time is seventy six. Thank you IMDb for giving us this ability to. (laughs) Who's twelve? Right, Um, very young, but also like just of the time Hollywood picture of innocence. (laughs) Next to this guy, who is the Hollywood picture of corrupt something yeah right <laughs> or or indolence at yeah, at yeah. best right yeah. like he's either a loser or actively mm-hmm. corrupt uh or both yes and so uh, it's just a great contrast right off the bat he's clearly agitated and mm-hmm. is telling her that she's going to stay with her aunt cecil for a few months you know that he has to to, to go away for a little bit he, he's sick 
and he's going to go away to get better. Yes. And she wants him to get better. He says that he will. He promises. During this conversation, we see a real, real sporty goon car. Yes. <laughs> uh, I went to our 200 Files files. Our our um, vehicle correspondent did not uh, chime in on this episode. This is the red and white one, right? The red and white one, yeah. It's a GTO. I know this because they said it in the episode. Right. <laughs> I got no... <laughs> It's red with white stripes. That is a spoiler. Mm-hmm. It's this episode is an all timer for strong looks, and that includes this car. Yeah, yeah, lots of good looks. And we see our two, as I say in my notes again, all timer goons. Yes, <laughs> get out of this car. Uh, one is uh, I, I refer to them as denim and flannel in my <laughs> in my note. They have they have names, but who cares? Um, yeah. As we have a uh, sleeveless denim vest with like a back patch, like a, like a biker gang back patch over tucked in t-shirt, handlebar mustache, mirror shades. <laughs> That's one guy. Yeah. The other guy is the half unbuttoned down to the middle of his chest flannel with the sleeves rolled up with a receding hairline <laughs> and like a piece of paper sticking out of his breast pocket. Good. It's they're They're good. The good goons. Good goons. The, the, the dad's name is Stu. Stu tells Marin to go wash her face. Uh, he needs to go now. Wait there for Aunt Cecil. She goes to the uh, washroom and he takes off. And we see the goons chase him. <laughs> and we fade out from the chase to a helicopter shot over the water uh, as our credits roll um, over the opening, um, some opening music and a idyllic look of, of the cove. Yeah, but I even made a note. It was just a nice... Uh, advertising for coming out to the Malibu. <laughs> mm-hmm. Our credits continue uh, as we see Rocky and Jim pull up to the trailer in Rocky's truck. Uh, Jim is saying that his fishing gear has been poised for three weeks for this trip. <laughs> but as they get out, we see that uh, Marin is sitting in a lawn chair outside Jim's trailer. Waiting in exactly the right place. Exactly it, the right place. Nobody knows it yet, but she is. <laughs> This whole first uh, first part of the episode is 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 watching Marin doing her best to protect herself from something yeah. she doesn't know why or why, and Jim doing his best to figure out how to protect her. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. that's what we get into pretty pretty quickly. But those two things two things are at odds at first. Um, ask her what she's doing there. She says, "I'm waiting. I'm not hurting anything. I'll wait somewhere else." And she starts, mm-hmm. you know, t- wandering away. But Rocky, of course. Yes, he's on the job. He's on the job. He <laughs> wants to know more. Yeah, Jim Jim is like, uh, he wants this fishing trip. He wants to go hang out with Rocky, and, and he's just put his blinders on. Yeah, I was ready to just say, all right, yeah, you wait somewhere else, and that's it. But Rocky, Rocky's not going to allow it. It's quite the version of the the uh, don't take the job two-step, where yes. <laughs> Jim is doing his best to not get involved, but uh, Rocky just won't let him. Mm-hmm. And then we see that his, like, not his better judgment, but we see that his uh, 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 his compassion comes through, right? And, like, makes it so that he can't walk away um, yeah. pretty quickly. There's a nice little uh, technique here where Rocky wants to know, you know, what you know what's going on? Who are you waiting for? She says, I'm not supposed to talk to anybody but my Aunt Cecil. And then we cut to Rocky telling Jim, here's what's going on that she told me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a nice uh, little little way to keep keep the focus on you know keep keep things moving along. We don't have to you know get double exposition uh, or or whatever. Right. 
She's from San Diego. Her dad uh, took her right out of class and came mm-hmm. up here. Um, she was supposed to be in a in a play tonight, and he knew that, but he took her out anyway. Um, and she's supposed to stay with her aunt, but she doesn't know where her aunt lives. And she's been waiting for uh, three hours. Jim wants to go fishing. Oh, I forgot to buy the mosquito repellent. Oh, Sonny, I'm ashamed of you. Well, I can't remember everything, Rocky. No, I mean about the little girl. Her aunt is three hours late. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> you know, what if she's a runaway or abandoned? Jim says, well, I'll call the police. You'll let a squad car haul that little kid off. And so Jim says, compromises on, we can uh, drop her off at the juvenile facility on the way to Baja. <laughs> Either that or leave her in the hot sun. And it turns out that she's waiting in the front seat already for whatever <laughs> they're they're going to do next. I think this is the point where we see like just this wonderful bit of acting from James Gardner where he uh, they're talking about her. So you can see on his face that he's got these he's putting up these defenses because he, he just doesn't want he doesn't want to get involved. Mm-hmm. He wants he wants Rocky to drop it and all that. But Rocky gets to him and you can see on his face where he thinks about her just like uh, I don't even remember what the line is. I wish I had written that down. But like he just gets this smile on his face like, oh, that that nice girl, like mm-hmm. the, just the, it, like that that hard wall just disappears for just a moment. And then the smile is replaced with a grimace when he realizes I'm going to take this job. Right. Like, I'm, I'm going to do yeah. this thing like mm-hmm. this is the so there's it's not a spoken thing. It's just the like this this sort of transformation as Rocky's berating him that I really. <laughs> Our next scene is at the uh, juvenile hall. Oh, uh, yeah. Ask for her name, her aunt's last name, her mother's name. And on that, she says, I don't have a mother. She's dead. Mm-hmm. Jim has her stay in the truck with Rocky while he goes in to fill out the paperwork. And we get this this vision of the very officious and bureaucratic staff at Juvenile Hall um, dealing with, you know, all these truants and, you know, mostly older teenagers, right? We don't yeah. see any, like, kids. Like, she's clearly uh, – Marin is clearly younger than most of the kids in this system. Yeah. And as Jim looks around, he sees, like, they're all behind chain – like chain, not chain link, but these walls that are, you know, uh, that are basically like chain lattice partitions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's loud. There's like, you know, people in uniforms all over. Uh, and he gets to the, the duty clerk and she just goes in this, you know, extremely bored bureaucratic manner. Bring in, take her visiting. Well, come on, mister. Step up to the county. You're next. Hey, let's go. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and Jim doesn't say a word. He just gives his head a little shake and we cut back to him coming back out to the truck. <laughs> yeah. The the way the scene plays out where he it's not that he goes up to the first clerk and he's able to, to that occurs at the first clerk. He just keeps he's pushed deeper and deeper into this uh, you know, this inferno, this Dante's mm-hmm. inferno, right? Like he like the literally going through layers as he goes through the different partitions. I really kind of appreciate that. Like he's like, Oh no, the, she doesn't come out of this. Yeah. Like that's not a, a thing. And this whole, I mean this whole episode, but like, especially this whole part from here. And then there's a lot of like dancing around, like sending her, you know, into the mm-hmm. system, keeping her out of the system. It's a real, it's a real indictment of the system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I can't speak to how, how well or poorly, 
um, the general system for uh, for introducing children into the uh, the mechanisms of justice, such as they are. Uh, I don't know how good or bad it is. I assume it's not very good. <laughs> Yeah, for the people involved, I assume outcomes are not great because uh, this is America. But yeah, this the vision given to us here is like I can't send her into that. Yeah, yeah. That all said, while he was in there, she <laughs> ran away from Rocky. <laughs> uh, he couldn't follow her because he's wearing these boots. <laughs> uh, cut to finding her. She's sitting on top of a wall in an alley. She doesn't want to go to that place. And Jim says he changed his mind. I don't want to leave you there. Mm hmm. Uh, they can't, they also can't leave her here by herself. Um, Jim tries a couple different attempts, a couple different maneuvers to, to get her to, <laughs> to help them out, help herself out. Ending with, uh, well, if you don't care, why should we? We'll just leave you here in this alley full of rats and snakes and vampires. <laughs> There's no such thing as vampires. Um, he, after getting a, a, a straight promise that he won't take her back to juvenile hall, mm-hmm. uh, he, she finally tells, tells Jim her name and we get a big Garner smile in response <laughs> as he helps her down off the wall. So, so up to here, I think it's been, it's been a lot of fun watching Jim, uh, stumble over and attempt different techniques to mm-hmm. get her to let her defenses down and get, so he can get the information that he needs to get or whatever. I do love that the one that works is this rats, snakes, and vampire. The like he's like, leave her here with the rats and snakes. That's that's a threat. When you throw the vampires on top, you're you know, he's kind of opening it up to like a like I'm kidding with her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things I really enjoy about this show is just seeing how Jim can uh put people at ease or intention, like get them in the state of mind they need to be in for him to get his job done. <laughs> I guess that's manipulating them. I don't want to call it that. <laughs> charming them. Let's say he's charming. Charming. Them. Charming. Yeah. Yeah. They say that she can stay in the trailer for the night and we introduce the, 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 uh, her, her main character flaw foible. Um, mm-hmm. does it have a TV? Yes. We, uh, end the scene with them getting back into the truck we have good banter about trust. She says that uh, I trust Johnny Carson. Rocky, <laughs> you can trust us. And we have a crossfade on Jim saying, what was your dad's name again? Stu Gailey. And that's when we f- fade into seeing Stu uh, walking up to uh, a door, pressing a buzzer. We see there's a little label for Cecil Goss. So Aunt Cecil. Mm-hmm. There's no answer. He knocks. And then our goon car rolls up on him and they <laughs> jump out and take a take a shot at him with a shotgun uh, from like the, the roadway is kind of elevated from where he's, he's uh, knocking on this door. Uh, they miss, he takes off uh, and they, they're on the chase again as he mm-hmm. uh, apparently did not evade them at the pier. So we're definitely getting a picture of some serious trouble that uh, her dad is in. Yeah. Ser- I would, I would characterize that as serious. <laughs> <laughs> So we cut to Jim and uh, his good friend Dennis Becker uh, at the station asking Dennis for advice. <laughs> what should he do with? He finally has her full name, Marin Rose Gailey. Um, Dennis says to take her, take her back to juvenile hall. Jim tells the you know tells him what we know from seeing you know the first couple scenes. How is he going to track down Stu Gailey? Uh, Dennis tells him I think to uh, go to the jungle gym 
or check out the jungle gym, something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. And that apparently is slang for uh, put a personal ad in the paper. That's how people right. on the run keep in touch. So Jim wants to use his phone. Uh, I think he says, like, I'm just going to call the hospitals. Like, first I'll call the hospitals mm -hmm. before doing that. And then we have a great. Oh, God, it's so good. Little snapshot of the Dennis Jim <laughs> Uh, a relationship or the, the tension that underlies yeah. the Dennis Jim relationship. Yes. It's not, this episode isn't about it. It's just in this scene, but it's, it's a great one. I don't know why. I know Jimbo, you can't use the phone. I hate working nights. I only got four more shifts to go. And I'm not going to blow days by letting the Lieutenant catch you making personal calls on my extension, which is why I'm working nights in the first place. Oh, Dennis, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate the occasional episode where they show us why Jim and Dennis are good friends. <laughs> I mean, I love Jim, but if I were Dennis, I would think twice about loving Jim. <laughs> well, we, we, we get that as well because uh, Dennis says he can't do anything because no crime has been reported. Mm -hmm. Jim says, well, I'm going to report one. And Dennis is like, all right. Fine. I'll take your statement. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> Jim is surprised. Yes. Yes. Uh, but then she goes back to she goes back to juvenile hall until the next of kin can be located. That's the rules. Mm -hmm. And Jim takes the paper out of his typewriter. Yes, I'll use a payphone. So you know we we get the the uh, the connection moment of Dennis willing to to do Jim a solid, but then Jim being like, "This actually isn't what I want." <laughs> back in the trailer, Marin is watching TV. Jim is making omelets perhaps yeah he gives rocky some sass about only bringing eggs and nothing to go with them <laughs> so she's watching tv and they're kind of talking in the kitchen area like mm -hmm. you know so that you won't hear them and uh my note here is just they judge her dad's parenting yeah <laughs> you know what kind of guy leaves her like this her look at her clothes like that kind of stuff i know we're establishing that Stu is like not necessarily the great a great guy mm -hmm. or may not even that the episode gives us a little bit of question about whether Stu is like a good guy or not. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, like whether he's involved in something dangerous because he's a dangerous guy or whether or, he's kind of a victim. Yeah. Whether he haplessly fell into it or not. And in, and here they're kind of assuming like, oh, he must be, you know, he must be like a, a bad father yeah yeah which i don't think the episode tells us is true i think the episode mm -hmm. tells us he's flawed but doing his best now in this scene i spiraled down an internet hole <laughs> uh-huh there's a throwaway line from rocky that said uh that's triggered a memory in my head because rocky talks about her television viewing habits mm -hmm. right she's just constantly watching television and then he says she can do that burger commercial backwards faster than the kid in the commercial and <laughs> i remembered the commercial <laughs> and i have found it i have a youtube link we can mm -hmm. put it in the show notes mm -hmm. um it is a uh mcdonald's commercial for the big mac two all beef patty special sauce lettuce cheese all on a sesame seed bun is like that was the jingle that they had around that time and then they would show people unable to do that mm -hmm. th that series of words in that order or something like that and at some point a kid they have one in one of the commercials uh, that came out the same year that this episode did so it would be very recent uh they just had a kid do it backwards two all beef patty special sauce Cheese, pickles, onions, and lots of sesame seeds. 
sesame uh, on onions, pickled cheese, lettuce sauce, special patties, beef all too. What was that? Twelve beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun backwards. <laughs> so, so you would just have probably two or three years worth of this commercial, just constantly people saying what goes on a Big Mac mm-hmm. in a particular order in a certain cadence, and be failing to be able to do that. Now, the reason why this sticks into my head at this time, I'm I'm too young to have watched the Rockford Files, right? Mm-hmm. Like I probably saw this episode in reruns. But McDonald's kept this mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you pro- probably have heard, yeah. two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, all in a sesame seed bun. Um, like it's it's burned into my brain. <laughs> At some point, they did a promotion where instead of just doing the Big Mac, they did a jingle that was their entire menu. Right? And not describing the ingredients that go into each thing in the mm-hmm. menu, but like just listing all of the things on their menu. And the promotion was it, they did it to a song, and uh, what they did is they delivered records, these floppy records, mm-hmm. uh, in your Sunday newspaper. And you would take it out. It was like this floppy vinyl. You put it on your record player. You play it. And they would have this chorus that was like, all right, now we're going to try and do the song. We're going to run it through once. And then you're going to do it on your own. And if you manage to do it on your own, whoever owns this record is going to win a bajillion dollars or something. I don't remember what the actual prize was, but it was Mm -hmm. a sweepstakes. So to get everyone to listen to this record to see if <laughs> they could play them. Anyways, we got it. Mm-hmm. There's a point to this story. Uh, it We got it. It was around the same time of the moral panic with heavy metal mm-hmm. uh, and all of the satanic backmasking and all of that. We had two record players. So I took one. I put it in a neutral. Let's call it neutral, <laughs> where it just free spins, yeah, right? Yeah. And we took uh, another one and I wrapped a rubber band around like a big rubber band around them. So when I hit play on the other one, it would spin the first one Mm -hmm. reverse. And I put the record on that one and I listened to it in reverse, convinced that there would be backmasking or some kind of message. I wanted to be the one to discover this, right? Like, this is now when I'm talking about this, what I'm doing here is the same activity that somebody on social media would do in a matter of like 30 seconds like they mm-hmm. like it would the commercial would come out they would upload it to the computer they play it backwards and they put it on youtube and it would go viral whatever i don't know but what i did uh was just for my own edification mm-hmm. and i did learn something there are hidden messages and what i learned was the word egg because mm-hmm. they also had their breakfast menu egg sausages and apple pie are auditory palindromes hmm they sound the same backwards as they do forward. Huh. Egg, sausages, apple pie. Egg, apple pie. And to this day, I know that fact. <laughs> and now you do too, dear mm-hmm. listener. If this has not been edited out of our podcast. <laughs> I, I would never dare. <laughs> I may, in fact, clip those and reverse them and we'll see. Yeah. See how it yeah. sounds. Uh, all right. I have no graceful transition back to the uh, Rockford Files. Well, we, we go back to uh, uh, Jim telling Rocky to go buy her some new clothes and to use yes. the gas money. But what about our trip to Baja? Yeah, what about it? And with that, <laughs> the idea of that trip is put to bed. It's so sad. She uh, she gets up because Uncle Marty is on TV. Mm-hmm. He used to be married to Aunt Cecil. Uh, and it's a news broadcast i suppose yeah showing a body bag being <laughs> loaded into uh 
an ambulance, and some voiceover saying there's nothing to confirm or deny that he was a police informant. Mm-hmm. On the heels of that, the phone rings. It's Dennis. Uh, and he says he thinks he found Stu Gailey, but he needs him to bring Marin to identify the stuff. We're still looking for the body. Yes. I just now as we're going over it, I just realized that that is quite a bit of an exposition dump to get both like the mm-hmm. uh, television news report exposition. Events have happened that affect your story directly, mm. followed by the very well-timed uh, phone thing. But it, it works because it's it's economical. It kind of yeah. like packs it all in together we get to our next thing yeah and and you do feel like like oh maybe this uncovered that right like Mm -hmm. uh, this thing that they're reporting on has been worked through the police department and gets to you know yeah uh, yeah we go to uh, a bridge uh, or underneath a bridge with dennis who's asking marin questions uh all she knows is that her dad said he was sick and was going to get better you know jim's like you know she's had a rough day and kind of leads her away we have like an emotional core moment before getting back into our story. Yeah. <laughs> Where uh, Marin's looking out over the water. I hate him. What? I hate daddy. I know you're sad and scared. I don't blame you, but don't call it hate. I mean, he's, he's kind of acting as a parent here. Like, yeah. you're feeling these big emotions, you know, good. Like, you feel, you know, feel your feelings. Yeah, yeah. You know, but hate's a pretty specific word. Like, yeah. That doesn't mean that's not mean what you what you what you're trying to express. Um, I mean, I don't know if we need to go into, but like, obviously, like he's kind of abandoned her. Now he might have really abandoned her. If yeah. You, what we learn in a second is that the the evidence suggests that he jumped off this bridge. So yeah, she's really having a, a kind of a traumatic moment here, and Jim's doing his best to 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 ease ease her uh, landing, I guess. Um, but he goes to talk to Dennis. Doesn't doesn't necessarily buy that Stu Gailey jumped off a bridge. Uh, like there's all this stuff, his wallet and his coat. He took off his coat. Uh, why would you take off your coat to jump off a bridge unless you want people to know that you jumped off? Yeah, Jim's um, on the case now. Jim's on the case. <laughs> but until he finds something different, Dennis is calling it a suicide. And Jim, there's a nice little functional bit here where Jim's like, okay, well, maybe if, if you call it a suicide, then he'll think the pressure's off and he'll come out of hiding. So fine, yeah. you do that. <laughs> like that yeah, works for you too. Yeah, the papers and we'll, yeah. Unfortunately, this means that he, Dennis has to take Marin um, she's a ward of the state now. Mm-hmm. He tells her that, uh, and she's upset. She says, "You promised to Jim." Jim takes Dennis aside mm-hmm. and and goes to I think a moment where I was like oh, Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> he uses Dennis's uh, son Scott, who mm-hmm. we all all of us viewers know as uh, Jim. Is he is he Jim? He's Jim's godson, right? Right, and. Probably not his namesake, but he's been told. <laughs> but he's been told is his namesake, <laughs> yeah. right? Because he's James Scott Rockford and Scott. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, if Scotty was in trouble and he just mm-hmm. learned that you, you know, that you jump off a bridge, would you rather him stay with me and Rocky or in that, as he says, wire mesh hellhole? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now he has the, and we see Dennis being like, I know what you're saying, Jim, but like my hands are tied. Like these are the yeah, rules, yeah. right? But he says, I have the right name on the ant. Her name is Cecil Goss. Give me a couple days to find her. Uh, and if she stays with us, that'll save the taxpayers a little money. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. all the reasons. And then he ends with a please. Yes. And Dennis is a big old softy when it comes to the taxpayers' money. <laughs> yeah, that's really what tips <laughs> it over. <laughs> and uh, we cut from there to a hospital. 
where Jim has found Cecil Goss. She is in a hospital bed. She's been all beat up. Mm -hmm. The first thing he says after confirming who she is, is that he has, he has Marin. She's staying with him and, and Cecil is glad she's okay. She's obviously relieved. So we, you know, have the conversation here where we learn that Stu called Cecil, wanted to leave Marin uh, with her, but didn't want to drop her off at the house. So that's why they're going to meet at the pier. So as she was going to leave her house, two goons showed up. They wanted to know what Stu said. They knew he had called her, wanted to know, you know, what the conversation was. And she said, I didn't say anything, even while they beat me up, until they pulled out of the cattle prod. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, no. This is not... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She doesn't know who they were, but probably Marty was mixed up in it. So I guess they're not related related, but Stu Gailey and Marty Goss were both baggage handlers at the airport. This woman, Cecil, and the woman that Stu married also worked at the airport. And that's how they kind of all met. And then she says that I, I drew Marty and, you know, the other woman married Stu. So I guess they're not like blood related you know, but they're, you know, family friends, right? Well, the the two women could be sisters. And so the, the two handlers are in-laws of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I was a little confused at that point. It doesn't really matter. I mean, no, but uh, that's who these people are that, <laughs> that we're talking yeah. about. Uh, Stu's wife was killed in a car accident. And she says that he couldn't handle his grief. And he basically called, crawled into a bottle. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's his sickness. And uh, she and Marty are split up. Marty's her ex-husband at this Mm -hmm. point. Through this whole conversation, they have it without knowing, without her knowing that Marty is dead. And Jim finally tells her that information. She takes it pretty well. Yeah. My notes are, this is kind of harsh the way he delivers it, but I guess it's okay. Like she's, she's been through some stuff and and it's a little bit more of a, like he recognizes that she Mm -hmm. can probably handle it. But yeah, because he just hands her a newspaper to and points to where he's his obituary, I guess, or, or the article. The, the about story, because it's like police yeah. informant found dead is like yeah. the story. So he's front front page. And then I guess Stu's suicide is also in the paper. Um, and then he says something like, you're the only one who didn't make the paper because he placed the ad trying to get in touch with Stu. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he's probably going to have to change it because of what's happened. Uh, but if Stu is alive and goes for it, I'll be standing right there. <laughs> so, yeah. So now we're kind of getting into like, okay, it's clearly whatever the story is, whatever the backstory here is, mm-hmm. it has to do with some some kind of plot that has to do with the, these baggage handlers. Yeah. And and I think because uh, we didn't mention this at the top, but uh, there is a particular moment in the opening montage where the words narcotics mm-hmm. is, is mentioned at this point i'm like oh okay baggage handlers narcotics say no more we don't need to know any more details <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're heading to yeah this isn't really a mystery episode at all it's really a yeah i don't know lance the boil episode like something is wrong and it needs to be fixed someone needs to be kept out of danger but yeah. there's no real mystery to investigate it's mostly the logistics of like how do we connect with the people that we need to connect with how do we find the people we need to find yeah there's Less of a mystery for us, although we don't know the exact details about anything mm-hmm. quite yet. I I don't know if it was my memory of the show. I, I don't like I couldn't recall the exact details of the plot or anything. Well, we've talked about that. I just don't. That's not mm-hmm. my thing. Uh, but 
Um, I definitely spent most of this show thinking uh, that all my notes call him Polly. I got to look him up here. Stuart. <laughs> Stu. Stu. Stu, yeah. Uh, Stu, that Stu is an okay guy trying to make the best of a bad situation. Yeah, yeah. That was my assumption at the very beginning. Uh, not because I was on uncritic- Like, it's not that they didn't offer any evidence otherwise. It was just... I'm just assuming that this is the way it's going to go. Yeah. And it could have been like, you know, just because he had this uh, daughter that he clearly cared about. Mm. And so you're telling me that there's something good about this character. And that's what we need to know. All right. Let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths. And Epi and I can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the Internet. Because as it turns out, we do do other things then talk about the Rockford Files from time to time. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. Or at digathousandholes.com, with the thousand being numeral 1000. I like complex URLs. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff, from games to zines to podcasts, is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. And on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a Day. Um, we go to Marin watching TV in the trailer. <laughs> Rocky's hanging out with her. They're kind of talking through the strategy of the game show that she's, walk- uh, that she's watching. <laughs> and there's a moment where he's like, if you were on there, you would win big. Um I guess fun trivia note from the uh, Ed Robertson book. All of the names that are mentioned during these... There's a couple times that she's watching a game show on TV and Mm -hmm. we're hearing the game show dialogue. Yeah. All the names mentioned are production people from from the (laughs) the show. Fun little bit. Um, There's a phone call. Rocky answers. And from his side of the conversation, it's like, oh, your daughter's here. She's safe. It's so good that you called. So apparently... Her father has seen the ad and is calling. Mm-hmm. And as he's talking, I'm like, Rocky, come on. Yeah, exactly. Like, I got a knot in my stomach. I'm like, Rocky, Rocky, get off the phone. But he gives gives them the address over the phone. 29 Cove Road. Mm-hmm. Tells Marin <laughs> she's happy. They hug. Jim mm-hmm. comes in. He sees that they're all excited. He gets a big hug, too. My dad called. Him. He's. I'm going to see him. Uh, he asks how her dad sounded, and she said, oh, I didn't talk to him. Rocky did. And we yes. see immediately <laughs> on Jim's face, like, uh-oh. <laughs> I, yeah, my, my notes are like, come on, Jim, you got to get wise to this. Because there's a little business before that happens. Yeah. And then when she said I didn't talk to him, I'm like, there we go. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> like Again, Jim's on the case. Yeah, I say that Jim is capital C concerned. <laughs> yeah. So without really saying like, uh oh, or that anything's wrong, mm-hmm. he's like, okay, well, how about you get all your stuff and go over to Rocky's mm-hmm. just in case, and I'll meet your dad here and then we'll come and get you. Mm-hmm. Rocky's got a better TV and a remote control. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
<laughs> he kind of talks her into it by with a uh, don't you trust me and she's like yes then <laughs> go to rockies uh and i think the the bigger tv uh seals the deal while she's getting her stuff rocky's like this i really like this moment too because so often i mean not so often but a lot of the rocky gym stuff that we see is like you know, Rocky kind of getting on Jim's back about something or yeah, being kind of willfully misunderstanding about how he does his business and stuff like that. If whoever shows up at this door doesn't look like the picture I saw on Stu Gailey's driver's license, we've been had. She's been had. Oh, man, I'm sorry, Jim. Hey, you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it'll be Stu Gailey. Yeah. And it seems very legitimate. He's not, you know, he's not busting him over it. He's like, you did what any reasonable person would do. It's just not a reasonable situation. Yeah. Yeah. Because Rocky's like, I've been had. Mm. And then we have a bit of a, a, a joke in the cut uh, where he says, maybe it'll be Stu Gailey. And we <laughs> cut to the to the red and white goon car coming down, <laughs> coming down Cove Road. A, a goon transit object, a GTO. <laughs> That's very good. GTO. Our flannel goon is driving. Our denim goon is lying down on the back seat. <laughs> we have a nice little um, scene played out for the benefit of each other where yeah. uh, a flannel goes up to the door. Jim answers it. He says he's Stu's good friend, Duffy. Mm-hmm. He's wanted him to bring Marin just in case because these ads sometimes are used by bill collectors to hassle poor folk. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a great line where he's like, yeah, he has a bad case of the shorts. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> like, like, is this a, and then, oh, it's money trouble. Like, he's coming up short. Yeah. It's not diarrhea. <laughs> it's or like, something. Oh, this is horrible. Whatever that is. The shorts. And and Jim is kind of going along with it, you know, like, okay, uh, well, you know, hey, Marin, get your stuff. It's your Uncle mm-hmm. Duffy. And as he comes in, this is maybe the, the scene I was thinking about. During the conversation, we cut from outside the trailer to inside the trailer, and we see that Jim is holding a big <laughs> red glass, like, decanter <laughs> over the door so that when this guy, uh, Duffy, uh, or uh, uh, Flannel, as I'll continue calling him, comes in, he can just smash it down on the back of his head, like, yeah. immediately. You love to see it. it <laughs> so many times we've seen goons, like, Jim gets the door open a little, there's a bit of a conversation, and then they, like, Bust in. just shoulder into him or, mm. you know, something. This is mm, this is good to see him. It won't last long, but it's no. good to see him get the drop. Yeah, he gets the drop. He kind of gets his knee in the guy's back. He starts being like, what's your interest? You know, what are you, what are you after Stu Gailey for? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but before he can really get anything, uh, Denim, Denim mm-hmm. Goon, comes in and hits Jim from behind himself. We hear, get the prod. <laughs> So we have some business here of like they're threatening Jim. Jim starts mm-hmm. playing really scared. Like, okay, okay, I have a really good memory. Yes, <laughs> I can remember a lot of things, and you're <laughs> gonna like them. Yeah, this is also the moment when from the preview montage where it sounds like Jim's explaining to the audience that that's yeah. a cattle prod, but Jim has already been alerted that they're that they have used a cattle prod. Mm-hmm. So now it naturally does fall from the dialogue where he's like, "Wait a minute." That's a cattle prod, isn't it? You know, like, I mean, that's not what he says, but it's a, it's a little bit of him also playing up like an electric cattle prod, like, right, yeah. so that he seems more scared than he actually yeah, is and more likely to spill the beans. Yeah. So this gets them to the point where they're like, okay, come with us. And as he leans, as, as our uh, uh, denim goon leans down to, to haul him up, 
Jim uses that leverage to pull him down instead. <laughs> and we have a, a, a little rumpus in here. Uh, he gives, gives flannel a good punch full across his face and then throws one of them into the other, which, which just gets them out of the way enough for him to run out the door. Uh, they chase. We see that um, at least one of them has a gun, but they can't find him anywhere. And then we see a cop car coming down the, yeah. the road. So they uh, they take off. They pass one of those nice shots. So like, <laughs> our goon car leaves as the squad car that has Dennis in it comes up. Dennis gets out, looks around, and then Jim pops up over the roof <laughs> of the trailer, which is where he was hiding. What, where were you five minutes ago? He he got the plate of the car, gives him the description. Mm-hmm. But Dennis is there with someone from uh, Juvenile Hall. There's like a woman in a uniform that gets out with him. Uh, it's official now. They need to take Marin. But Jim, yes. he, has a, he has a document notarized by the guy at the nurse's credit union <laughs> that he's Marin's legal, legal guardian until Cecil Goss is back on her feet. Yes. And, and Dennis says, all right, Jimbo, good for you. <laughs> I, this is a quintessential gym play, right? Mm-hmm. Like this just feels like a, a a gym knowing the bureaucracy and then also like the shortcuts he can make through it because it doesn't it's notarized by the guy at the nurse's credit union does not sound doesn't sound official. Yeah, it doesn't sound like I mean, like it is official if, mm-hmm. it, if it's a notary public. Yeah, then uh, then yeah, then it's official. But it's like he like the closest person who could notarize a document at the yes. hospital. Oh, <laughs> yeah. the nurses credit union clerk or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's it's very yeah, good. It's good. Good. It's also like a really nice uh, uh, it's, it's really nice structural element for the story, because now we can stop worrying about whether they're going to take Marin yeah. away. Like we've yeah. had a couple beats of like she has to come with us. Oh, no, not yet. She has to come with mm-hmm. us. I'll just let her stay with me. And now it's like, OK, now we can just stop worrying about that as an element of the story. Yeah. For for now. <laughs> for now. Yeah. Um, oh, and P.S. There's a drug enforcement uh, fed <laughs> uh, DEA official looking for Jim. But Dennis told him it wouldn't be necessary to issue a warrant. <laughs> a little threat there. Cut to uh, recurring. I don't know if he's yeah. a fan favorite, but I think recurring show favorite. Uh, Ken Swafford as Al Gillette, the DEA agent. Kind of similar to Mills Watson. I feel like Ken Swafford is someone whenever his face pops up, I'm like, oh, yay, this guy. (laughs) Em was watching over my shoulder and she's like, that guy looks like a Fed. And I'm like, he's not only a Fed, (laughs) he's FBI, he's DEA, he's a colonel, retired colonel in the army. Uh, he's a PI. We haven't seen that one yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, uh, an RV enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You've covered him well. Yeah. I think you're, we have the one more episode that he's in that we haven't done. It's a early season one. Oh, episode yeah. Even, right. Say goodbye to Jennifer. Yeah. So we haven't done that one, but yeah, we've done the Aaron Ironwood school of success where he's FBI agent Patrick. Um, he's the DEA agent here. So the, I think the one that, you know, probably his best, his, his, his most significant role perhaps is the Carl Ronco in the Queen yes. of Peru. Uh, but he's also howling mad, uh, mm-hmm. howling mad in, uh, the Hawaiian headache in season six. Yeah. Which is a fun episode mm-hmm. that that was like the last one they filmed or something yeah like that, yeah right? like, like, um, well, it was the last one that uh, it wasn't the last one that aired but yeah it's it's almost the end of the it was yeah. their like we get to take the whole crew to hawaii yeah. episode yeah. <laughs> and and they chose they chose uh ken swafford to come mm-hmm. with them yeah so i mean that says something mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Definitely a face that's always fun to see. Uh, here he is uh, giving Jim the lowdown of why the DA is involved. So Stu Gailey was involved in a narcotics ring that mm-hmm. they busted last year, but he got off on a technicality. He also turned on his, you know, on the other narcotics uh, uh, gang members or whatever, the ring. So he's been sitting on a stash and waiting for the heat to cool down before he can get it back out on the streets or, or whatever. An informer told the DEA that Stu was ready to, you know, start selling the stash. This informer was Marty Goss. And so Gillette drew $100,000, that's government money, for the yes. buy. Our little shorthand here says that that's roughly half a million in today's mm-hmm. bucks. Uh, so so Goss was supposed to make the buy with this $100,000. Mm-hmm. Somehow Gailey must have found out, uh, evaded a tail, met up with Goss and killed him, took the money. So yeah. now he has a th- $100,000, as he says, of the taxpayer's money. <laughs> um, his superiors don't like it. And on top of that, he, I think he says he has like a flawless record or something like that. And he's not going to let Stu Gailey destroy that either. He's going to keep looking for him until he finds him or finds a body. So that is the situation as presented. There's this, you know, there's some back and forth. Jim has some wry comments, but that's basically this, this scene is giving us all that background. So at the end of this scene, I was, I was definitely feeling like, I don't know if the portrait that we've been given of Stu Gailey by this story this, matches yeah. <laughs> the character that we've seen so far. Yeah. One of these things I don't think is correct. And I think that's intentional. I think we're in the right place as audience members feeling like something doesn't seem to make sense here. Mm-hmm. We go to a establishment shot of Palisades Park where Stu is looking at an ad uh, that <laughs> says sunsets on the magic toad today, Palisades Park. I don't know how that... <laughs> Yeah, actually, I wrote that one down, and... Uh, I mean, Sunsets is meet at Sunset, and Palisades Park is a location, but uh, I don't know how Magic Toad is, like, a word that, you know, like, at no point... Marin know, like, Rose Magic Toad, yeah, it doesn't... Yeah, I. it doesn't really matter, except that I wrote it down because it's a fun phrase, and now yeah. I'm like, at some point, like, is that, like, a fun thing that he would say? Like, is that an inside joke or something, you so, know? We do know that he talked to, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Cecile Goss. Yeah. Uh, and, and he did specifically talk about the, these messages in the paper. Right, right. So he might have gotten some sort of inside jokey thing that would have conveyed it. But yeah, I wrote it down too, thinking, oh, maybe I'll, I'll anagram it or something or, but I mean, I, Sunsets has, is, stew in it but it just that doesn't help mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I couldn't i couldn't figure it out but it's fine i mean like it doesn't matter we, yeah these things are often in kind of like a little like interpersonal code inside joke kind yeah. of thing so I, I kind of feel like maybe there was a line that would have explained it that got like cut or something i've really enjoyed in this episode reading the the classified mm, directly above, above and, and below. directly yeah, below yeah, yeah. they're, they're was it this one or the next one that was like woman 70 looking for yeah. a widower? She's a widow. She's in her 60s and she's looking for men with homes and income mm-hmm. in their 70s and 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, however it worked out, Stu responded. He's at Palisades Park at sunset and Jim mm-hmm. comes out of nowhere to, uh, to, to confront him. He wants some answers. 
And Stu is immediately relieved to hear that Jim has Marin and she's safe. Yeah. But as Jim says, you're hotter than last July. Yeah, it's a good line. So if you don't tell me what's going on, I'll have to feed you to the big blue machine. <laughs> uh, this is, you know, a lot of a lot of exposition here about the backstory. So he says he didn't kill Marty, um, but there was a narcotics ring at the airport. He didn't mm-hmm. know about it until he walked in on it and then became part of it. It was set up by a skycap or something, and then he and Marty were baggage handlers. They had a hole in the wall uh, with a locker in front of it on the other side of a conveyor belt coming from international flights. So yeah. they could, without anyone knowing, pull bags off of the conveyor, take stuff out of them, put them back on, and by the time they get to customs, they're clean. And presumably this stuff ended up in a locker and somebody picked it up out of the locker yeah, or whatever. Yeah, there was some yeah. distribution from there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Jim says, very creative. <laughs> so Stu came across the ring. He told Marty he was going to go to the cops. Mm-hmm. Marty wanted to go with him. When they went to the cops, the cops had them stay involved so that they could get more evidence and just yeah. like that's you know standard operating procedure they're not going to move until they have a lock yeah on the the charges jim's giving the cops a lot of credit throughout this episode <laughs> there's, there's an earlier one where he's like sometimes people run from things that aren't the police <laughs> and we're about to learn that that's mm. not the case here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so the bus came down and everyone involved got 15 years but they kept cases pending on him and Marty and had them keep the operation going. Mm-hmm. And now they were getting uh, they were getting their their orders from the feds who had orchestrated the bust. Sometimes they would take stuff out of uh, luggage. Sometimes they would put stuff in. And Jim's like, ah, instant evidence. They weren't supposed to look at the... And sometimes they just take bags entirely. They weren't supposed yeah. to look in them. Marty always did. And a lot of the time, they were full of money. They couldn't stop because if they did, they'd the pending charges would come down and they'd go to jail. And then he's like, and then I was fired four months later. <laughs> <laughs> Jim's like, so who are the guys chasing you? Uh, who are these two mastodons that are on your tail? Duffy and Manny. Those are the feds I'm telling you about. Yeah, they look like creeps because they work undercover. They're under suspension, but they're part of Gillette's operation. Al Gillette? Yeah. What? Well, I told him where I've got Marin stashed. You do what? Yeah, my dad's with her. Yeah. Uh, nice shout out to Mastodon. Uh-huh, uh-huh topical um uh, it's fun watching their competing concerns at the Mm. very end of this scene and the beginning of the next one uh not that or i shouldn't say competing but it's uh Stu is worried about his daughter period right jim is worried about Stu's daughter and rocky (laughs) right and that just in light of Stu's worrying about his daughter makes it seem like he's because he's like i told her where i have marion stash my dad's with her yeah (laughs) it's just like like, like, he's worried about both. And also, Jim's like, well, why didn't you go to the cops? And and he's like, well, I couldn't go to the cops. So Stu's at the point where he's like, no cops. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't want any cops involved. I don't trust the cops, etc. So that's also a competing thing going on. Um, they go to Rockies, and sure enough, it's all mm-hmm. in disarray. He's been jumped to gorillas, uh, <laughs> came in. They took Marin, kicking and screaming. Uh, and he, he mentioned something like she wouldn't like go of her purse. Stu says, oh, she would never leave that behind. That was her mother's purse. That's important later. Mm-hmm. While Jim is tending to Rocky, we see Stu 
uh, open a bottle of something that is, you know, yeah. was sitting on Rocky's <laughs> uh, sideboard. So Jim's like, okay, what are they after? The final element of all of this is that Marty kept a book of everything they did so mm-hmm. that they would have something to deal themselves out if they needed to. Um, so they basically have receipts for all of these illegal operations. Marty was supposed to meet with Gillette, get official statements like clearing them or whatever, or dropping the charges. And then he would tell Stu and then Stu would mail the book to Gillette. That was the, the, the plan. Marty never called. Then he turns up dead. Jim's like, we have to go to the cops. This is a police matter. <laughs> He's like, no cops. <laughs> and Jim, he he goes to, I have a personal friend, yes. you know, who I know will help us. And it's like, yeah, but what about his boss? How do we know he's not in on it? Yeah, yeah. But Jim talks him into it, uh, or at least into letting Jim kind of lead the next part. Uh, so this book is in a locker at the boat terminal. Marin has the key, but she doesn't know it because Stu sewed it into the lining of her purse. So mm-hmm. important that she still has the purse. They can't blow the whistle without the book, so they need the key to the locker to get the book. Rocky needs to report the kidnapping so that Gillette doesn't get suspicious. Uh, and then Jim is going to sit sit on Stu until they can make their move. Uh, their only advantage is that Gillette doesn't know that they've teamed up. And then there's a bit of business where Sue's like, what do you mean teamed up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Jim's like, you know, we're in this we're, we're in this together now. He makes some uh, some some comment when he as he takes the bottle out of Stu's hand and puts the cork back in. Yeah. Um, which is also, you know, a nice little piece of business. There's also a, a little bit. I, I don't have the exact words here that but like Rocky goes to defend Jim uh to Stu being like, you know, like what, what who's teamed up here or whatever. Yeah. And Rocky, Rocky gets offended on Jim's right, behalf. Right. That's fun. That's good. And we cut to Angel. Angel! Stu and Jim are holed up at Angel's place. Can, okay, I just want to say, the beginning of the episode, Stuart Margolin's name shows up in the credits. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, it's an angel. Angel's going to be in this episode. But like, he wasn't in the opening montage, was he? I don't, I don't think remember. So. But he... I, I noticed his credit as well. Yeah. Yeah. I just spent most of this episode waiting for Angel and Polly to get together. <laughs> They're a power duo. Mm-hmm. It's fun. This scene, I really enjoy this scene because it's, it's Jim between the two of them. It's really good. There's three different energies going on. <laughs> They're very, very different energies. And I, I love it. First of all, our, you know, the picture of Angel's Place. We don't see Angel's Place very often. Yeah. But I feel like <laughs> this is maybe the Ur version. Like, it's different every time. They don't, you know, it's yeah. like whatever they need for for the scene. But this is like, there's just stuff. Every, it's not dirty, but it's like full of stuff cluttered it's yeah. cluttered it's not in a nice building like so yeah. everything's run down it's very cluttered it but there's a giant uh there's a giant texas flag on the wall <laughs> like the lone star flag which is amazing um and it, f- and a little bit important actually uh and yeah just the energies are are amazing streets are fidgety hi jimmy i mean both sides are looking for a piece of this slinko now i don't know how much longer i can let you stay here <laughs> yeah jim sees in the paper that there's a reward out for stew there's a reward out on you now how much 10 grand angel listen jimmy i don't know this guy 10 grand's 10 grand where'd you find this creep hey man you're staying in my house this is my house what do you say jimmy opportunity of a lifetime 
<laughs> yeah. He doesn't even, like, modulate his voice. Listen, I don't know this guy. Ted Grand is Ted Grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And he's he's like, oh, you don't want the 10 grand. And then when he finds out about the more money, Angel's like, oh, that's what Jim's angle is. He wants mm-hmm. the 100 grand. I want in on that. You know, it's just... Oh, such, yeah. His inability to see Jim doing the right thing. Like, right, just, right. he's like, he has nothing. It, it just doesn't phase him. It doesn't, mm. yeah. Yeah. It's extremely good. It's, it's like a pure distilled scene of angelness. Yes. Because he's yeah. in one more scene a little bit, but like, this is pretty much it. Yeah. And yeah. like, uh, it's, it's extremely good. Uh, we end the scene with Jim seeing an ad in the personals, Ramp Rat, Call by Six, or it's Adios, Marin Rose. Now that one makes sense. That one, very clear. Yeah. I'm just realizing that, because they call him a Ramp Rat a couple times, yeah. I'm just realizing that that must be slang for a baggage handler. That's what I'm guessing too, yeah. I was like, does that have to do with the pier? Like, because rat <laughs> and pier is what, where my head goes, but I'm with it now. I figured it out as we're going yeah. through. Well, that's why we do a podcast to figure these little <laughs> things out. <laughs> um, he makes the phone call to it's to a payphone. Flannel Goon answers. Um, <laughs> they want the book. They'll meet in an hour. Is Marin okay? He says something like, "She's fine in the trunk of my car." Yeah, uh, like just cruel, right? Just like needlessly yeah. cruel. Uh, Stu asks, "How do I know she's alive?" And he says, "Well, like we all have to take gambles or something mm-hmm. like that. You're just gonna have to find out." So they they set up a meeting in an hour trade. Trade the book for Marin. That's the the, the deal. Um, Jim has a plan. Stu is like, I don't know. Why should I go along with you? It's like, well, my plan has a 90% chance of failing because it depends on you. It's <laughs> a hell of a thing to say. But uh, we followed them back to the apartment as Jim is rigging a rope through some furniture. This will be important later. <laughs> as he literally says, we have to rig the game to have a chance. And uh, Stu reiterates, no cops. And he was like, no cops. That, mm-hmm. You got it. But you have to do, like, we have to do this. We have to take these chances. We don't know what the plan is, obviously. That's, you know, we are we will find out as through the next couple of scenes. Uh, but Stu wants a drink to calm his nerves. And Jim says, you told Marin you're going to get better. Now's the time to start. Mm-hmm. So those are our little undercurrent of uh i don't know jim jim acting in what he thinks is the best interests of a, a little moral authority yeah that's, yeah um all right so the next the next couple of scenes are pretty there's a lot of good banter mm-hmm. we're in the caper phase we're now watching a caper being yes. executed it's not quite a con it's kind of a con um yeah but it's more of a yeah just like Let's see what Jim's plan is. Yeah. Let's play this out and see who ends up with the upper hand. So Jim takes a cab to the viaduct. And at this point, I realize, huh, I guess the uh, Firebird just isn't in this episode. Oh, you're right. I just, <laughs> that didn't occur to me. It's just no. Yeah. And it's fine. And like, it makes sense that he takes the cab because he needs to be, he needs for it to make sense for them to take him with them. Yeah. And he doesn't want to leave his car there or whatever, I'm sure. So, like, that makes sense even without that. But I'm just like, huh, yeah, no Firebird <laughs> in this episode. Stu didn't come because he's too shaky. Uh, and mm-hmm. he's sure they already killed Marin, so doesn't think it's worth going through on the deal. But Jim can help make everything happen. He just wants a cut of the money. That's where he's dealing yeah. himself in. Because he knows there's this $100,000 pot sitting there. Uh, Jim has some leverage because if Stu doesn't hear from Jim, he's going to, as he says... Uh, 
have the book in his hand when he blows his brains out on the police lawn. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, he winds up, it's the flannel goon. He, he winds him up and kind of aggravates him to where he's like, threatens him. And then he's like, is your boss going to be okay with this? Do you have yeah. the ability to make this decision? So I don't negotiate with the hired help. Yeah. And so he's like, fine, he's going to take him to see the boss, but he gets, he, he jabs him in the back as they <laughs> walk away. And I think we see like real like irritation on Jim's face as he turns around. He's like, that's one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good, it's a good empty threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not empty. It turns out it's not empty, but it's a good like uh, position where he's like, I'm tolerating this. Mm-hmm. You don't get much more. Yeah. Um, Gillette shows up. Uh, so it's just the two cars out in, at this viaduct. There's more banter. Uh, as we get to Jim's terms, they're very simple. He just wants $10,000 in exchange for getting them the book. But he has a condition. Marin stays alive. 10000 mm-hmm. doesn't buy me as an accessory to murder. Yeah. He wants to see the money, but as they are, they have the entire upper hand. They want to get to Stu Gailey first. And if that all goes down, you're on. And then as he says, otherwise, you're off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He gets another prod. I, I wasn't sure if it was the gun again or if he actually got the cattle prod the second time. Yeah, I don't know. But he gets like jabbed again and he's like, <laughs> that's two. <laughs> and when they put him in the back of the car, Marin's sitting there, not in the trunk, thankfully. Yeah. And this is when we get the from the preview montage. I hate you. Our goons in their various cars with uh, Jim and Marin in tow go to Angel's place. Jim continues to, you know, play his his character here. He he's like, okay, we're here. He's in there. Yeah. I want my money. I don't need to see whatever you're gonna do. Right. He's yeah. like, my part is I just want the money for connecting you to where he is. But they want him to come with them. He's going through the door first. <laughs> we see Jim uh palm Marin's purse and then drop it on the street outside the car. We'll remember that is where the key to the locker actually is. Mm-hmm. Which is important because there's no way to get into a locker without a key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also see Angel creeping around uh, yeah. behind a fence. Uh, so so Gillette, Flannel Goon, and Jim go in, and the Denim Goon stays with uh, Marin in the car. Yeah. Uh, they go into the apartment, confront Stu. This entire scene is very tense. At least it was for me. Yeah. So Stu needs to both keep it. He needs to keep it together to to convince Gillette of their story, which we'll go into in a second. Yeah. But he also needs to be emotional to mm-hmm. be convincing. It's a really, I mean, this is a really great performance. Yes. When I was watching the scene, um, I started off watching the scene just gleeful. Uh, Cause you know, I, I like watching them at work, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like to see what they, but then it, it occurs to me, like there's this great line that uh, Stu has, where he's like, because I knew I can't walk out of here alive. Once mm-hmm. I worked that out, the rest was easy. Mm-hmm. It's a punchy line. It's a great noir line. It's mm-hmm. a very, you know, like, and all of that. Like, it's just mm, really good. It's delivered in front of his daughter, I think. Or is it it's just before? before? It's just before that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then I'm thinking of what's happening coming up uh, right. But no, basically, like, the beginning part of this scene is this wonderful, hard-boiled detective kind of scene and then they bring his daughter into it and they have to continue with that scene Mm -hmm. and that's heartbreaking for her like because it's it's a fiction she's not in on yeah 
And it's a fiction where her father has accepted his own death and is about to do, you know, it's really powerful, I think. Well, has accepted his death and hers. Yes. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll hit the, 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 the storytelling points here. The, the emotional intensity is, I mean, it's in the physicality, but it is also mm-hmm. in his voice. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really strong, but the, uh, the story beats here, as you say, he, so when they come in without her, without yeah. Marin, he says, I knew she was dead. Mm-hmm. And, and then he has the line about, uh, uh, I, I knew I wouldn't get out of here alive. The rest was easy. He left the key and a letter for security to find at the boat terminal. It's in an envelope labeled notify police. Like he already did that. That's mm-hmm. happening no matter what happens here. Gillette pulls a gun on him and there's a beat. And then he says, come on, everybody I love is dead anyway. Mm-hmm. Since he is now presenting as I have nothing to lose. Now Gillette sends the goon to bring in Marin to be like, okay, no, you do have something to lose. Right. So Gillette is yeah, playing yeah. it pretty at a pretty high level on his end. Yeah. 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 So once they take her in, we see Angel grab the purse. Yes. We know that something's happening. Operation Angel Key <laughs> yeah. is is in is is going ahead. So they bring Marin in, and then Stu says, "Well, none of us are going to make it out alive. So what does mm-hmm. this matter?" And Jim, who's still playing his part, is like, "Hey, don't bluff with my life." Yeah. Like, like... and 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 she says, "He's he told them where you were for money." <laughs> yeah, she's still very much hates Jim. Yeah, Gillette says. Uh, He's going to give him 10 seconds and um, flannel goon has his shotgun on Marin. Mm-hmm. And this is extremely tense. Yeah. He does the countdown. Nine seconds. Eight. Seven. Six. Daddy. Five. Four. Three. Two. We'll be together, baby. I love you. Till it gets to one. And there's another beat. And I think we see on his face, he's like, well, what do I do now? Don't look at me. She's not my kid. Well, what do you want to do, Al? If he's telling the truth, that book could get us a big 20. A life for the book. That's all I want. Al? Okay, she can go. Flannel mm-hmm. is also like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pull this trigger. Like, what, what? You really want me to do this? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we see that, you know, we know he's a, he's a, a, a real creep, but yeah, he needs something more concrete from his boss. Yeah. To make this next step. Yeah. And Gillette isn't quite sure what to do since this threat, his, his final, his, his ultimatum didn't get what he wanted. This is when Stu says her life for the book. That's all I want. So it gives him the mm-hmm. out, right? Gillette agrees. Uh, tells her to run to the church the two two blocks away. Um, they'll take good care of her. No. Just do what I say, baby. It's not fair. You're all better now. Get out of here now! She goes. There's a few more beats. Um, he finally tells Gillette that the envelope is in the time clock slot for the security guard, so he can't miss it when he clocks out at 6.05. Gillette goes to get the envelope before the, the, the time runs out. Jim, at this point, has been maneuvered over to sit next to Stu so that the goons can keep an eye on both of them at the same time. He sits down on the couch. We see him palm the rope that he had been threading in the last scene. 
And uh, we have a final explosive bit of action where Jim gets to drop on them literally by pulling the rope, which tips the dresser down on top of uh, Flannel, knocking him sprawling. Uh, I think as he says, hey, Duffy, how'd you like to make it three? Yeah. And then he pulls the rope. There's a real meaty brawl. Uh, Jim and Stu get the upper hand. There's punches. Stu picks up a card table and kind of like <laughs> hits the, the denim guy until he uh, stops fighting with it. And we end the scene on, we better get out of here. I lied about the cops. <laughs> Poor uh, Angel's apartment. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really look that different. No, at not the really. End of the day. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great scene. Mm-hmm. The one-two punch of the like, you know, the 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 bluff through the countdown. Mm-hmm. That was pretty, pretty intense. And then uh, Stu telling Marin to go and her not wanting to leave him and her being yeah. legitimately yeah. overwhelmed, terrified, scared, not wanting to leave him, all that stuff. Uh, that that was a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's all fun and games. Mm-hmm. And then she shows up and you, and nothing about it changed except that she's there. And the context then mm-hmm. is like, wait, hold on. Maybe none of this is fun and games. Like yeah. what's uh, and I thought that was really well done. Oh, yeah. It's it's really well done. The, the structure of it is great. The acting is all really, really good throughout. And I was I was surprised with how uh, how hard it hit me watching. Yeah. You know, a girl not want to leave her father like. Yeah. Hello, it's me, the, <laughs> the guy who became a dad and now, you know, sees that stuff and has it really, uh, really, really hit. Every time cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> How's that song go? Anyways, yeah. But uh, yeah, so well done, I guess, for mm-hmm. for targeting dads. You, you did it. <laughs> Unexpectedly big kind of finale that's the fin- i mean we'll yeah, yeah follow up the story but like that's the finale right like that's yeah, the yeah. that's the climax of the episode and it really kind of went bigger than i had anticipated or remembered but it's it's yeah. worth it it's very strong um we cut to gillette at the terminal looking for the time clock he finds it he finds the envelope with the key he opens the locker and inside the locker is a letter that says dear al you're under arrest <laughs> and he turns around and it's Dennis, some cops and a guy in a hat who I assume must be a fed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Dennis. We end our episode back at the trailer. Uh, Marin and Stu are there. He's um, he's circling things in the newspaper. He's looking for a trailer. Uh, mm-hmm. They can just about afford one if he sells the rest of their furniture. Then they'll be able to move around. He's a good mechanic. He can get work. Maybe they'll go to Oregon. Um Jim and Rocky come in with groceries. No, mm-hmm. no goons slapping them out of their hands. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to see. Tell them about this trailer idea. There's a joke about where are they going to put the TV uh, for Marin. And she says that uh, Jim says I'm a TV-aholic. Is that as bad as an alcoholic? <laughs> no, it's a lot cheaper and it doesn't hurt the next day. Yeah, it's a good line. And then, uh, and then it follows with, plus that's not for the Gailies. That's for people who can't see tomorrow. <laughs> so you know we again it's it's a bit of an undercurrent uh but you know we we see that he's finally dealing with his own dealing with his own grief and his own pain yeah. by seeing that he has something to live for as opposed to you know run away from right that's kind of the the context that we see him uh coming out the other side of in this scene he thanks jim for everything including the hundred dollar loan he'll have it back as soon as possible and then we get the real surprise reveal <laughs> <laughs> Rocky has a present for Marin. Uh, can't hold it back any longer. He has to give it to her. Yeah. 
She opens it. I think he mentions like, I spent 20 minutes wrapping that or something. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they don't appreciate his wrapping job. <laughs> it's a nice leather purse. It's kind of the same style as her mom's purse, but mm-hmm. it's like nicer. It's leather. I think it has her, her um, initials on it. And there's something inside. Since Marin told Dennis about the money in Gillette's trunk, she gets the $10,000 reward for the return of the money. So it's the, <laughs> the like cashier's check or whatever with yeah. the, the reward. I think Jim says, how about that, sweetheart? You won the big deal. And we have a freeze frame <laughs> as Stu and Marin look at each other smiling and overwhelmed with disbelief and joy as turns out everything's going to be okay. We hope. We hope. Yeah. Uh, Jim, of course, not making any money on this. Rocky out of pocket for the clothes and... <laughs> well, they had they had their gas money, so I guess that got spent. I don't know how yeah, much yeah. more they spent. Yeah. I imagine Jim gets his $100 back pretty quick. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had been a long time since I'd seen it. Yeah, I think it was it was uh, uh, the recommendation, you know, said is a bit of an unusual episode. Um, And I think in the sense that, like, it's not really a mystery. Um, It's certainly dealing with a kind of person we don't usually see. We don't usually see like young, you know, kids as the central pivot of the story. It's not formulaic in that matter, mm-hmm. but adapting the kind of Rockfordishness beats to that story is really nice. Like I said, yeah. he kind of like tries to reject the job and then ends up taking it like all that kind of stuff. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, he leverages his knowledge of bureaucracy to, uh, yes. get, you know, get out of <laughs> a little bit of the trouble, the guardianship. That's good too. Yeah. And he orchestrates a pretty, I guess it's not complex, but it's elaborate. In, he, he orchestrates a pretty high level con that really depends on Stu. Yeah, yeah, pretty much a hundred percent. It it depends on Stu, but it also depends on Stu just being how Jim uh, like characterized Stu, right? Like, yeah, what I need you to be is uh, like at the end of your rope, mm-hmm. Stu. Just be yourself Stu, mm-hmm. and don't give in to this instinct to try and it's like you you need to be 10 percent more hopeless than you actually are yeah exactly like, don't let yeah. that 10 percent of like maybe i can deal my way out of this don't give in to that mm-hmm. jim you get the sense of like i know how these people think you know he cares more about saving his own hide than about getting revenge or something like that right like maybe if it was like the mob it would be a different approach but right. I think you get the sense he's like, I know what a corrupt <laughs> yeah, fed yeah. <laughs> is going to care about. And so if we can keep him on the string for the book, that will be our way out. Listen, I knew this guy when he was a PI <laughs> and an FBI agent. Mm-hmm. After this, he gets busted. He moves to the Midwest. He buys right. a, he buys an <laughs> RV. That would be very funny. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely good. And I mean, I just talked about it, but the. The the unexpected impact of the you know father daughter yeah. drama definitely makes this one stick t- stick with me more now than than yeah. you know after the first time I saw it. But yeah, yeah, um, all around just lots of great performances too. I think mm-hmm. that that was I mean that's not saying anything new about the Rockford Files. <laughs> yeah, um, all the interactions with the the normal. The normal, the core cast was just classic. All good yeah, stuff. Good, yeah. good Rocky Jim stuff. Good Angel stuff. Good Dennis. Uh, 
yeah, like I'm thinking back to the where Dennis reveals that he's been on nights because yeah. Jim used his phone. Oh, that's mm-hmm. good stuff. Perfect. And uh, as kind of a final entry in our Gordon T. Dawson episodes, definitely on par <laughs> with, yeah. with yeah. the other ones. I'd say that a lot of these scripts or a lot, a lot of these episodes have that element of like, here is this person with this personality flaw. Our episode is not about that, but the fact that they have it and that part of the episode is addressing it is like a lot of the emotional content. Because yeah. like, like I said, it's kind of similar to um, the Deuce uh, where it's a little more forward in Mills Watson's character about his alcoholism, but that's, you know, in there. We talked a lot about the character flaws of Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those are the the big ones. I guess the trees, the bees, and TT flowers. TT flowers oh, yeah. is more of a victim than a flawed protagonist in that one. Yeah. But the situation that he's in is one kind of his own devising. If I remember, you know, I'm trying. It's been a while since we saw it, but it's like because he has a like his son-in-law is trying to basically get his property out from under him or something like that. Right. Yes. So they like have him committed. And then Jim, Jim and Rocky like break him out and all that stuff. Uh, so that one might stand out in a slightly different way. Um, and in a fast count, like the uh, uh, the promoter, um, mm-hmm. Maury, I think. Uh, I mean, he is certainly a, a flawed person. He's he, he was running a pyramid scheme without knowing it. Kind of unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. He's willing to take advantage of, you know, certain things in order to get his get his his main interest which was like you know getting his protege the best bookings because he deserved it because he's finally has a boxer that he can that he thinks can go all the way yeah and we learned that he's like working weekends in the warehouse and like all that stuff he's never made (laughs) money as a promoter so like there's that that element um is kind of there in that one as well i don't know so there's definitely a reoccurring uh motif there that that uh um gordon t wait gordon t dawson yes uh, hits upon in his stuff. Yeah, uh, I think this happens to me quite a bit with these, where we'll close someone out and then realize that this person has had kind of a big influence on <laughs> what we've enjoyed about mm. the show. Or, uh, or I mean, we can't necessarily say so, but they've been they've had a hand in making some of our favorite episodes. Or mm. and uh, yeah, it's it's like the uh, show did a really good job of bringing strong writers <laughs> and and directors on to do their episodes there's something about this show it's just well done it's someone well should done. talk about that yeah so just good <laughs> all right well i suppose on that note is a good time to say that uh since someone should talk about it mm-hmm. we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the rock for files <laughs> Yeah. Hey guys, this is us. Yeah,